You're listening to Digging In, where we dig into the insurance topics, trends, and news surrounding all things agribusiness. Here is your host, Bruce Droz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Digging In podcast with Alliant Agribusiness. Today, our topic is cyber issues, specifically as they relate to the agricultural and food industry. And for our conversation today, we've got a a really esteemed panel of Alliant professionals. I'm going to let each one introduce themselves, uh, but just briefly, Bobby Horn is in New York, Uh, Megan O'Malley is in California, and David Finns is also in New York. So Bobby, why don't you start off with a little background? Thank you, Bruce. I uh, appreciate the invite. My name is Bobby Horn. I'm the co-practice leader with Alliance Cyber Solutions Team, which is housed within the Alliance Management and Professional Solutions Group. I work with our client finding the best possible outcomes for you know, their cyber insurance needs from placement through you know, coverage analysis, claims coordination, you name it. We, uh, we, we assist in that, in that. So thanks again for having us in. Megan? Thanks, Bruce. Yes. Hi, I'm Megan O'Malley. I am Bobby's counterpart in the western half of the U.S., so to helping co-lead our cyber team here at Alliant. And I have been in the cyber industry since about 2008, working both in the broking and underwriting sides. So really excited to chat with you today about what we're seeing in the agriculture industry. Glad to have you here. Okay, last but certainly not least, David. Thanks, Bruce. David Finns. I've been with Alliant now for about a year and a half, and uh, my role is twofold. I work with Megan and Bobby to negotiate best-in-class policy wording for our clients and also to help them maximize their recovery when they have a claim. Thank you, David. Alliant is a specialty broker. Our group in agribusiness and food, 100% of what we do is in that space. And it seems that there's been all sorts of pressures on this industry here recently, you know, starting from you know, the logistics problems that we're, we're all experiencing, but the ag and food industry have experienced that in spades the rising cost, you know, the input costs, labor costs. So pardon the pun, but it almost seems like the industry is low hanging fruit for cyber criminals. You know, what have you seen out there that our audience would be interested in, in terms of some anecdotal situations involving agribusiness and food? I'll take a stab at this one. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that probably caught the eye of, of agriculture companies was the JBS USA ransomware event in May of 2021. For those of you who aren't aware, JBS USA is a subsidiary of Brazil's JBS SA, who are one of the world's largest meat suppliers and meat processors. Uh, And actually, I think they process about 20% of America's meat supply. And they ended up having a ransomware event that shut down their systems completely. We don't know too much about it other than it was a ransomware event. They were forced to shut down and they ended up paying the $11 million in ransom to get their operations back up and going. But if you think about, you know, 20% of America's meat supply not being able to function operationally, that's a pretty huge hit to the industry. You know, I think in the insurance industry, we started getting used to seeing ransomware events in, in other industries, right? In healthcare, in financial services, and seeing that attack on JBS USA was a bit of a shock for us all. I think a lot of times people in cyber think of agriculture as just a farming industry. And so, you know, how do they have cyber exposures? But there's massive cyber exposures in that industry, given the reliance on operational technology. And so I think the JBS ransomware event, which ended up paying out, what, about $11 million, 
was a real eye-opener for our industry, for underwriters and brokers alike to go, gosh, there is, there's a lot that we as brokers can be doing for agriculture clients to really ensure that we're helping them transfer risk. You mentioned, Megan, that it was a ransomware attack. That's a term that we hear a lot about. I guess the two terms that we hear a lot about in our space are ransomware and social engineering. Those are the two things that it seems are the most prevalent. Let's address kind of what that means exactly. How does a ransomware attack happen and how does a social engineering attack happen? I'll take part of that question. So ransomware, the type of malware that's deployed across a system, whether it's through clicking on a link that then, you know, worms its way through your network uh, to the point where then, you know, once the bad guys have an idea of what your network looks like, they can shut you down. But ransomware from an insurance perspective means a lot of different things, right? Because it touches on multiple insuring agreements, not just the cyber extortion. So when you have a ransomware loss, not only are you impacted from an operational standpoint, so you have a business interruption loss, but there's also a data recovery aspect that comes into play, right? So the cost to, to build the systems back up in play, plus the cyber extortion aspect, right? Where you're paying a demand to the bad actors if, in fact, you can't get yourself up and running from backups. Well, so we could give some advice to companies in the ag food business on how to protect themselves. Obviously, buying insurance is an important part of it. But internally, what advice can we give to those listening about maybe some best practices on how to protect themselves? Bruce, I think that's a really good question to ask and something that all ag businesses really need to be considering, right? The threat of ransomware and cyber attacks isn't going away anytime soon. So the question really is, what can we do to better protect ourselves? And I think looking at the ag industry, one of the first things they can do is really look at segmenting their networks. So making sure there's proper segmentation or separation between their operational technology networks and their information technology network. So that's your OT network and your IT network. And this is often where there's a lot of weakness in the ag business in particular, because ag companies have used operational technology for, for decades. It's, it's what's allowed them to operate. It was really only the introduction of the internet to that operational technology that has increased that cyber threat. And so I think first and foremost, it's really creating segmentation between that IT network where a lot of the administrative work is done and then the OT network where it's more operational work being done. Bobby, do you want to add in some other color there? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to kind of kick it off, right? I think specifically when it comes to control, especially with the underwriters looking at things like multi-factor authentication, I think it's probably the biggest buzzword we've had over the last 24 months as far as what's the absolute minimum you have to have in place in order to secure coverage. Multi-factor authentication is probably the answer. You know, without having that in place, that's the easiest way for someone's credentials to be compromised. So making sure you have MFA in place is, is critical. Also, the use of dedicated accounts for privileged admin activities, so password management, rotation logging accounts, so you can have an idea of who's in your network and what are they doing. And beyond that, right, next-gen type of software, smart learning software, tracking user behavior so that, you know, let's say Bruce Draws, right, you're a broker, but why, you know, we, we can track your, your day-to-day behavior, but if we see you're going into, you know, certain networks that you shouldn't be, that's going to send a red flag to your IT folks. So that type of software is really what's kind of the next step from a, from a control standpoint. Even with all these things in place, I think one of the things that often gets overlooked is employee training, right? Because that's the first line of defense. Without your employees being aware of what's out there from a cybersecurity perspective, threat perspective, all it takes is one person to click on a link and you're, and you're done for. So there are you know, a, a plethora of things you can do as a company to make sure you're taking the right steps to prevent an attack. 
Those are great points, Bobby. Thank you very much. And I really like the fact that you hit employee training, because when you think about it, the human element here is the hardest to control of the whole ecosystem, if you will. And it's just very important that employees be always cognizant and always thinking. You did mention too, which is a good segue, you know, occasionally bad actor will get through. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about somebody gets in and a business in the agribusiness or food space is faced with a situation where they, they've got a cyber crisis on their hands. You know, what should they do? What are, the, what are the most important things to do? So this sounds like one that I should take a stab at. Every organization should have an incident response plan in place, and they should design that incident response plan with an eye toward making sure that their insurance policy performs. And by that, I mean making sure that the service providers that they're going to use are approved as panel firms or added to the policy by endorsement, that there is a process in place for notifying the insurer to get in touch with the insurer's hotline, to coordinate the incident response, making sure that all the statements of work from those outside vendors are approved, having a plan in place about how to communicate with each other in the event that the network itself is not secure, because the last thing we want to have are emails going back and forth about your insurance program while the threat actor is in the system. And you know, we as a broker do not quarterback the incident response, but we can certainly help coordinate getting those providers together, making sure that they're approved in advance by the carrier, and even taking part in a tabletop exercise to offer our perspective as to how the insurance comes into play with each decision that an organization makes. Great, great points, David. And I think that what we've seen is there's different levels of preparedness there's different levels of companies that either have relationships with providers or may not have existing relationships with providers. And in those cases, there's really a value-added feature of having a cyber policy in place because those resources can come to you, you know, kind of through the insurance company relationships. And we've seen that provide a lot of value to our midsize and smaller clientele. Absolutely. Absolutely, because these are firms that are in this space every day. They understand both how to render the services that are necessary as part of the incident response, but also how to format their invoices and communicate with the insurer in a way that makes sure that the adjusters get the opportunity to review and approve these bills in a timely fashion, which is every bit as important in terms of managing the financial impact to an organization as the capabilities of the firm itself that's delivering the services. So along those lines, in your experience, uh, I'll ask this to the group, in your experience, have some things come to light that you can share that we would advise, you know, we talk about what to do. Are there things that you shouldn't do? Any kind of red flags or, or traps that you shouldn't do when you, when you have an event right off the bat? Yeah, I think one of the things we've talked about and we've run into is making sure that the organization, through experience a ransomware attack, go offline, so to speak, right? Use your personal email rather than broadcasting across your network to, hey, we, uh, we've been hit with an attack. We need to contact our insurance brokers to see how if we have coverage for this. Because that's one thing that bad actors are in your network and they see that communication. Then they, they know that you have a cyber insurance policy, potentially, and they can ask for more money. On that note, I'll add, uh, David and I were just chatting about this yesterday to a client in that incident response plan that David said you really should have, 
it's important to note those alternative personal phone numbers and email addresses in that plan so that at the time of crisis, you have that information readily available. You know, thank you very much. So does anyone else have any thoughts along those lines that we can share? Yeah, I think, Bruce, I would echo some things that have sort of been said before, but I want to really hammer at home that if you purchase a cyber insurance policy, there will be on any decent policy, there will be a 24-7 hotline that you can call. And that phone number really should be your very first port of call. That is going to engage you with an incident response handler who's usually a law firm who are specialized in this. And they will go ahead and start quarterbacking the incident for you, bringing in all the right vendors. And so I think it's vital you reach out to those people first and foremost, uh, even before you reach out to your broker. And then Take a moment to pause, you know, and don't freak out about paying the ransom right away because most people don't pay the ransom right away. Those vendors brought in through that kind of quarterbacking hotline will usually engage a ransomer negotiator. And this is someone who literally will negotiate with the bad actors to reduce the payment that they're requiring you to make. And in most instances, we do see the payment made ends up being far less than what they initially requested. So don't pay right away. You know, take a beat, pause, work with the people who are on that panel with you, work with the negotiators, work with the forensics people, work with your own in-house people to look at how your systems are actually set up. And if you can access those backups that Bobby mentioned earlier, without taking too long, don't rush the process because you can ultimately end up saving a bit more money if you don't. I think I started off the podcast by talking about some of the pressures that the agribusiness and food industry are under, and that as a result seems to be, if you'll pardon the pun, low-hanging fruit for the bad actors. What other situations have, have you seen out there that can illustrate what's happening in that marketplace right now? Yeah, so without getting into the specifics of you know particular incidents that may have been in the news, particular businesses, what we've seen is that the agribusiness sector suffers from some vulnerabilities that can be exploited by these bad actors, right? Some of those vulnerabilities include outdated equipment, legacy equipment that wasn't really designed to work with the internet, a reliance on third parties, a reliance on contractors who have access to the network and whose credentials may not necessarily be closed off once the service agreement has been completed. And all of this just leads to a lot of what are known as attack vectors, right? These are opportunities for bad actors to essentially come into a network, gain access, gain privileges, and then maneuver around inside the network to position themselves to be able to compromise it, either to take it down so that it's unable to operate, what we know as a business interruption, or to exfiltrate or encrypt data that they essentially hold hostage for the payment of ransom. So obviously there's, there's a lot going on here and the frequency of these situations has been elevated to say the least. What has the reaction been in the insurance marketplace in terms of insurers' you know, willingness to a, provide this coverage? What do you think about the potential for uh, availability issues? For the longest time, cyber as, a, as an insurance product was extremely underpriced, right? It was when it first came out 20 plus years ago, it was a liability only policy. And that coverage only expanded as the years went by, right? We added first-party coverage, cyber extortion, business interruption, and there was so much capacity and so many, so much competition that the rates just kept driven down and down to the point where you could get a $10 million policy for you know $20,000 in some cases. It's just unheard of. When the claims started rolling in, the underwriters and the actuaries realized this pricing model is unsustainable. 
And so with you know, ransomware has always been around, but the onslaught of ransomware in the last 24, 36 months uh, has shown that, that that pricing model needs to be severely corrected. So last year, right, when the market started to harden, we saw carriers start to pull back not only on limits, where $10 million limits were you know, pretty easily given out, cutting those down to fives, fives were cut to two and a half. But more importantly, we saw ransomware coverage specifically being sublimated. So uh, you know, as those losses creeped up, that particular coverage was being removed. I think the one thing I would add to that, uh, which which really marries well with everything Bobby just said, is on the capacity issue. You know, Bruce, you asked about new capacity. We really haven't seen new capacity in the market. We haven't seen any new players come in come in in the last, golly, probably two years. It's the only real new capacity we've seen is the people who went from tens down to fives, maybe creeping back up to tens, but otherwise we're not seeing new entrants to the cyber market. In situations where you do have a client that has experienced reduced capacity, are carriers uh, offering excess coverage uh, to participate on top? Definitely. You know, we are still able to get excess capacity. Given the limited number of people who wanted to actually write primary, it's still a pretty tight market to get the low excess. You know, your first excess is always going to be a bit of a struggle, but there are people willing to do it. And again, the better the controls are, controls that Bobby mentioned earlier, such as multi-factor authentication, EDR, strong backup solutions, you know, the use of uh, privileged access management tools and those things. The more of those you have, obviously, the easier it is going to be to find that low excess capacity. David, have you seen some, uh, some specific situations that would be that would resonate with our, our listeners here of situations that have come up causing an issue on a claim? Sure. You know, uh, one of the leading cyber insurers right now is embroiled in coverage litigation against one of their own insureds, where the question is whether that insured had been truthful in their application around the security controls that they had in place at the time that the coverage was bound. Now that they are staring down a ransomware event uh, that they had notified their insurer about in the hope of receiving coverage, the insurer is alleging that in the course of the investigation around the claim, it was discovered that they didn't have certain controls in place that the policyholder claimed that they had. This obviously puts their ability to recover on that claim in jeopardy. And that's why I feel it's very important for broking and claims to work together as Megan and Bobby and I do to make sure that you know, our clients understand this is not a check the box exercise. We want to use the underwriting process as a gut check to identify where there may be some deficiencies in their controls to help them get better cybersecurity in place, not only to reduce the likelihood of the severity of an incident, but also to help for the sake of integrity in dealing with the carrier when there is a claim to be able to maximize their recovery if they do have a loss. Perfect. If you're, if you're a current Alliant client, feel free to reach out to your account executive team uh, for that information. If you're not, you can always access us through www.alliant.com. And with that, I'd really like to thank our panel today, Megan O'Malley, Bobby Horn, and David Finns. I'd like to thank all the listeners as well for tuning in to Alliance Digging In podcast. Have a good day.